for leading us in worship, and today's a very special day, and I'm glad to have you with us, and this morning we're going to be setting apart Matt Jordan as a deacon of First Baptist, and you know that, that word deacon, our English word deacon, comes from a Greek word, uh, diakonos, and maybe you don't know Greek, and I don't really know Greek, but I know how to look it up, and that word diakonos means servant, and it really means someone who waits tables, like a waiter. Is what it means. And so a deacon, by definition, is a servant. And in Acts chapter 6, if you were to go back and read that, and we'll read it later in the service, but if you were to look at Acts chapter 6, you would find that there was a problem in the church. And some widows were being left out of the distribution. And so uh, the apostles called everybody together and they said, well, it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. So you need to, to select seven men who we can give the responsibility of serving the widows in the church. And so a deacon, by definition, is a servant of the church. And we're going to be talking about that today. But now, I don't want to just talk about the service, service, uh, service of a deacon in the church. I want to talk about your service in the church. Every member a servant in the church. And so we are in a series entitled Generations as we prepare for our 130th anniversary on October 17th. And so we've been talking about, on Sunday mornings, what it takes for our church to go from generation to generation. What does it take? And so um, when you join First Baptist Church, when you become a member of First Baptist Church, you made a commitment to our church covenant. And I've been going over our church covenant the last few Sundays. And I want to remind you of another commitment that you made when you became a member of our church. Our, our church covenant says this, we commit to serve Christ through the ministry of First Baptist Church using the spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. I mean, one of our core values also says this, we value stewardship of our lives including our monetary resources, our time, and our abilities. Some people will give their monetary resources, but not their time and their abilities. Some people will give their abilities, but not their resources. But we, we have made a commitment to our total stewardship. And so serving in the church is a commitment that you made when you became a member of First Baptist. Now you may have noticed the sermon title this morning. It says, Altering self and service. Now you might think, well, that's a typo. That's not spelled correctly. Well, that's not a typo. I do make a lot of typos, but that's not one of them. I think I created a word. It's altering yourself. It's putting yourself on the altar of service. And God has called us to lay our lives on the altar. And so if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1. And we're going to talk about what it means to alter yourself in service. And you, if you were to go back and read the book of Romans, and I hope you'll do that later, but if you were to go back and read the whole book of Romans, you'd find out there are really two distinct sections in the book of Romans. There's a, there's a section that talks about doctrine, teaching, theology. We would call that the, the beliefs. And then you have a practical part that tells us how to live. We would call that the behavior. So in Romans, there's really two distinctions. The, the believing 
and the behavior. That's what the book of Romans is all about. And you really can't behave correctly until you believe correctly. And so Paul kind of unpacks that. So in Romans chapter 12, in verse 1, he tells you how to live. He tells you how to behave. What it means to follow Christ. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you. Now your version may look a little different. He says, I urge you. I plead with you. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, a, A better word might be your logical service. Now the first thing I want you to notice this morning in altering yourself in service is the word consecration. Now you might think, what in the world does consecration mean? One, one lady went to her pastor. She said, well, pastor, in, in your idea, what does it mean for somebody to consecrate their life to God? And that pastor reached out a blank sheet of paper. He pulled it out. He said, consecration means you sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet of paper and you give it to God and let Him fill it out like He wills. That's consecration. Another person said, consecration isn't giving anything to God. It means you take your hands off of what already belongs to God. And what belongs to God? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, it says that you were bought at a price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Take your hands off of what belongs to God. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Do you know what a sacrifice was in the Old Testament? They would take an animal and they would slaughter that animal and then they would put that animal on an an altar and they would burn it with fire until it was consumed. That's what it meant. And that's what Paul's saying to you. And that's what he's saying to me, that we need to offer our lives on the altar. And I don't want you to miss the gravity of what a sacrifice was. Do you know what they would do to a sacrifice in those days? They would take a living animal. And I hate to be graphic, but this is what they would do. And it was very graphic. They would slit that animal's throat and let it bleed out. And then they would put that animal on that altar on that fire until it was literally, totally consumed. Have you ever been consumed by God? Totally consumed? I remember one day, and, and some of y'all know our battle, mine and Kathy's battle with Huntington's. We've, we've been doing this, battling this for about 17 years. I've been a caregiver for 17 years. And I will just tell you, there are some days that I feel like I'm, just, I'm being consumed. And one day I was venting to God. I said, God, I'm exasperated. I'm being consumed. Before long, there's not going to be anything left. In a moment, I said that. It's like God said, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. To consume you until there's nothing left but me. And by the way, he's got a lot more consuming to do. Well, the Bible says that we need to put our cells on the altar so we can allow God to consume us so there's nothing left in us but him. And so in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you. I plead with you, I beg you to offer your bodies to present them as a living sacrifice for Christ. Now, you know God has the right to demand it, doesn't He? He has the right to command that we do that. 
But what he's doing through the Apostle Paul is pleading with you to do it willingly. That you offer yourself willingly as a living sacrifice. I heard about a farmer who sent his son out to go milk the cows one morning. And when the son came back, he said, well, son, how much did she give? He said, she didn't give anything. I had to take it all. That's not what God's asking from you and me. He wants you to give your life willingly on the altar as a living sacrifice. And Paul says, when you do it, I want you to consider the tender mercies of God. Have you ever thought about the tender mercies of God? What has God done for you? Jesus laid Himself on a cruel cross for you and me, and He did it willingly to pay our sin debt in full. Where would you be without His sacrifice? You and I would be hell-bound. Amen? That's where we would be on our way to hell. Thank God He intervened. He sacrificed Himself willingly for us. What can you give God that's too much? What can you offer God that's too great a gift in exchange? Nothing. Nothing. I like the way Isaac Watts put it. Isaac Watts put it this way. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And then in the last verse, he says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned it all, that would be a present far, far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. In light of what God has done for you. Really, giving ourselves as a living sacrifice is a small thing. Do you know why some people haven't been able to find fulfillment in Christ as a Christian? Because they have not consecrated themselves on the altar. They haven't surrendered everything yet. Some of you really won't serve in the church because you don't want to be tied down to the church. You want to be free to come and go without any hindrances. You don't want to be tied down. Some people want all the blessings of the church without any, without any of the burdens of the church. And we don't want to be tied down. You know, that's, that is us. We don't like to be tied down, do we? That's all of us. We don't want to be tied down. That's a problem that we have. You know, that's a problem with a living sacrifice. It can crawl off the altar. And we crawl off the altar. The Apostle Paul had the exact same problem. Do you know how he solved it? In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I die daily. I die daily. I have to die daily because I keep crawling off the altar. And every day we have to put self back on the altar. Do you know what you need to do every morning? You need to say, God, when you wake up, God, I give you my feet today. Where I go, I want to go where you want me to go. I give you my feet. I give you my hands to do with me what you want. I give you my eyes to see what you want me to see. I give you my ears for you to use. I give you my lips to say what you want me to say. I give you my heart so I can love what you want me to love. I give you my mind so I can think about what you want me to think about. You have to put yourself on the altar every day. Now some people won't serve in the church because they haven't put their schedule on the altar. 
They haven't put their recreation on the altar. And Paul says, in the light of the tender mercies of God, it's your reasonable, your logical act of worship to present yourselves as a living sacrifice for Christ. It means putting all of you on the altar. Somebody asked William Booth one day, he was the founder of the Salvation Army. They said, what is your, the secret to your success? Why have you been so successful? And this is what he said. God has had all of me there was of me. Now there have been men with greater brains than me. Even men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. Have you given him all of you there is? Are you holding on to something? Are you holding something back? Have you laid it all on the altar? And so if there's going to be an altering of yourself, there must be a consecration. But there also must be a transformation. I mean, let me just say, you will never be transformed until you consecrate yourself. But there must be a transformation. Consecration always comes before transformation. Look at verse 2. Paul said, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we are to be transformed and not conformed. But you know what this world will do? It will try to blame you shamely and defame you until you conform. And Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You know that word transformed, we get our English word metamorphosis from that word that's used there. And you know what a metamorphosis is. It's when that caterpillar crawls in that cocoon, spends that time in there and comes out as a beautiful butterfly. That's a transformation. Completely different. You change forms. And you will be transformed when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You will be transformed when you submit your life to the Word of God. You will be transformed when you allow the Holy Spirit of God to mold you and to shape you into what Christ wants you to be. So that no longer are you seen, but it is Christ who shines through you. And when you're transformed, you change forms, don't you? You stop living for self and start living for Christ. You stop serving self and start serving Christ. That's what it means to be transformed. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't do your good works to gain salvation. We do it to bring glory to God. You know, I heard a story of a little boy who asked his daddy one day, he said, Dad, is Jesus bigger than me? His dad said, well, you know, son, I, I suppose he is. He said, so if he's in me, he'll be kind of sticking out, right? <laughs> yes, when Jesus is in you, if you'll let him, he'll stick out. He'll stick out. Now, some of you may be still a caterpillar when God wants to move you into being a spiritual butterfly. Are you consecrated as a living sacrifice? Are you being transformed in the likeness of Christ? So, if you're going to alter yourself in service, there must be a consecration. There must be a transformation. But, thirdly, Paul says there needs to be an evaluation. Look at verse 3. 
Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, three times in that verse, Paul uses the word think. He said, think rationally. Think reasonably. Think soberly about who you are. Don't be arrogant about who you are. Paul's saying, do an honest evaluation of who you are. You know, some people think that they're so important, so big, that they can't really do menial tasks. I mean, they're just too important. They're just too big. And if you're listening today and you think, hey, I'm just too important, you know, I'm too smart, I'm too big for small things, you know, I, I need to be the one running things, I don't need to be the one doing menial tasks. If that's you, then you're bigger than Jesus. Because Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, stepped off of his throne in heaven, stepped to this earth, put on a servant's towel and washed feet. And if we can't do the same thing, we're too big for God to use. Would you say amen? God's called us to service. We need to not think more of, our, of ourselves than we ought. But you know, some people are so arrogant, they think they don't need to church. You know, I can be saved without going to church. I can be a Christian without going to that church. I don't need to be a part of the church. So that's pretty arrogant. Can you imagine my arm looking at my body and say, hey, I don't need to be connected to you. I can go off and do my own thing. And my arm decides to lop itself off and, and walk off. What happens? It dies. Because it cannot function and live without the body. And so it is a very arrogant person who says, I can live apart from the body. If you separate yourself from the body, the Bible says, what happens when you separate a member from the body, it dies. It's prideful to say you can live apart from the body. You know, there's another group of people who are prideful as well. And you might not even think about it this way. This person would say, well, you know, I really can't do anything in a church. I just don't have any gifts. I have no abilities. I don't have anything to offer. I've got such a, so many mistakes in my past. God can't use me. And you think, well, that's humility, right? No, that's pride. You say, how can that be pride? Well, it cannot be humility if, you cannot, if you're not doing what God says you can do. It's not humility if you're not using your gift when God gave you one. That is not humility. That's pride or rebellion. God has given you a gift to use in the body of Christ. You know, I was, a few weeks ago I was reading, I don't know how I got on this. Sometimes I'm studying, I get on a little rabbit trail, I start chasing things. It's amazing how many things you see. And I begin to look up what Paul said about his own walk. And I want you to listen to what the Apostle said about himself in Scripture. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul said this, I persecuted the way, even to death. In other words, I was persecuting Christians to death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Paul said, that was me. I did that. And then in Acts chapter 26, verse 11, he says, I punished them often, Christians, in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. I made them deny Christ. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He said, I didn't just stop in one city. I pursued them as far as I could. Paul said, that was me. I did that. Paul said in Galatians 1.13, For you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. And I tried to destroy it. Paul said, that was me. I did that. 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul said this. I am the least of all the apostles. And I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? 
Because I persecuted the church of God. Now, if anybody could have said, you know, with my past, God can't use me. With my guilt, God can't ever use me. With my shame, God will never be able to use me. Paul could have found a reason to sit it out when it came to ministry, couldn't he? Can you imagine what the world would have been like without the Apostle Paul being active and using his gifts in ministry? We wouldn't have Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus and Philemon. We wouldn't have all those books of the New Testament had he said, I'm just going to sit it out. And so many people say, I'm just going to sit it out. But God will use that thing in your life that brought you pain if you'll let it. God will use that thing that brought you shame if you will let Him. God will use all that sorrow if you'll let Him. Paul had all these, this shame, this guilt of what he had done. I think, it, I think it burdened him greatly what he did to the church. But God allowed that form of persecution to be turned into ministry. And in Acts chapter 15, 41, this, it says this about Paul. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Do you see the difference? He strengthened the church, the former persecutor. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, that God can't use you. That's not true. And that's not humility. That's pride. If we're going to alter ourselves in service, there must be consecration, there must be transformation, there must be evaluation, and lastly, there must be participation. You must participate in the ministry of the church. Look at verses 4. Paul said, For as many members in one body, we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. How many of you know the key to financial stability is diversity in your portfolio, right? Well, the Bible says that God has created stability in His church by creating diversity in the body. We have diversity. We don't have the same function. Look at verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And when you make a commitment to follow Christ, you make a commitment to serve His body and to love the other believers, we are, the word is interdependent. You depend on me, I depend on you. We are interdependent on each other. Can't imagine my liver waking up one day and saying, well, you know, I don't really get the recognition I deserve. Nobody ever praises me. Here, I just sit there doing my thing and nobody ever even acknowledges me. I just think I'm going to quit. Can you imagine your liver doing that? What would happen if your liver just decided to up and say, I'm not going, not going to do anything anymore? Well, that liver would suffer, wouldn't it? But wouldn't the body suffer? The body would suffer. And when you don't do your part, you suffer and the body suffers. You know, if my heart decided, well, you know, I'm just going to stop pumping. I'm going to suffer. Or if my lungs said, you know what, I'm just going to stop, I'm just going to stop carrying all that air. I'm going to suffer. The body's going to suffer. And God has called us to be interdependent. Our spiritual well-being as a church depends on our service to one another and our interdependence. I think everybody ought to serve on the ministry enlistment team at least once. 
Some of you have been on that, you know what I mean. When you're on the ministry enlistment team, your job is to enlist people to do all the ministries in our church. And when you're on that team, you realize it takes an army of people to make this church function. It's not an individual. It is a body of people working together. But when you serve on that committee, you know what you hear a lot of? No. No, you'll find out there are a lot of people who won't serve at all in the body. And do nothing. God has called us to service and to ministry. And in verse 6 it says, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, you ought to underscore this, let us use them. That is the theme. Let us use them. If you have the gift of prophecy, that means to be able to preach the word with clarity and bring light to it. If you have the gift of prophecy, prophesy in proportion to your faith. If ministry, use it in ministering. In teaching, use it to teach. If you have the gift of exhortation or encouragement, use it. If you have the gift of giving, do it with liberality. If you have the gift of leadership and administration, do it with diligence. If you have the gift of mercy, mercy is somebody who can see a need and they know how to meet it. Use it. But do you know why some people don't ever find their spiritual gift? How do you find your spiritual gift? Let's just say, for example, we're a big football team. And we're all on the team. And you want to find out where your position is, what you excel at on this team. How are you going to do that? Are you going to do that by sitting on the bench? No, you're going to find that out by getting on the field and start trying some things out and find out where your gift is. You know, when I was growing up, you know, he found out I was left-handed. He thought, man, I'd love to have a left-handed quarterback. He said, I'd love to have a quarterback roll out and be able to throw the ball left-handed. He said, I think that would cause some problems for some defenses. And so he started grooming me to be a quarterback. And I'd run plays when I was in PE. I'd run football plays all, all during PE. But you know one thing Coach Lee didn't know at that time? I throw right-handed. Now, I am left-handed, but I throw right-handed. But you know what else Coach Lee didn't know? I can't throw a football left-handed, but I can't throw one right-handed either. (laughs) You know how he found that out? When I got on the field. He found out, well, you can't throw a football, but you can catch one. And that's what I did. My role changed because I didn't fit the paradigm. How are you going to find out your spiritual gift by getting in the game? You know, I think about D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman in Chicago. And uh, uh, somebody led him to the Lord. And he began to attend Sunday school. And so they gave him an assignment. They said, we want you to go get as many boys and girls and bring them to Sunday school as you can. So D.L. Moody went out and got him a donkey. And he, this is before they had cars, of course. And he started um, bringing children, girls and boys, to church on Sunday. He brought a, a thousand boys and girls to church on Sunday. And people thought, hey, something's, something's different about you. You've got a gift. We think you've got the gift of evangelism. You know what he did? He became an evangelist. Did you know that D.L. Moody preached all across America and in England? And, and he's really responsible for thousands and thousands of coming to faith in Christ. How did he find that gift? By getting on the field. Are you on the field? Paul gives a list of things. I'm not going to go through each one, but I'll just say Paul's point is very simple. Whatever your gift, use it. That is his theme. Use your gift. That's your reasonable act of worship. That's your logical act of worship is to use the gift that God has given you. And I'll just say this. If you're not using it, you're not going to answer to Jamie Arnett. 
You're going to answer to the one who gave it to you. He said, use your gift. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit for you to use. And I want to close with one last story. And this, is, this story involves four people. And I hope I, hope I don't embarrass anyone by calling, calling these names out. But it's about four people. And their names are everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Now the church needed some help meeting some financial obligations. And so everybody was asked to participate. Now everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Now anybody could have done it. But do you know who did it? Nobody. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. You know, when the church needed some people to help in the children's ministry, somebody was asked to help. But somebody kind of resented the fact that he, they were asked to help when anybody could have done it. And after all, it was really everybody's job. And in the end, it was given to nobody. And nobody got it done. You know, that process went on and on. And whenever something needed to be done in the church, nobody could be counted on to do it. Nobody, nobody visited the sick. Nobody gave liberally. Nobody shared their faith. In short, nobody was a faithful member. Finally, the day came when somebody left the church and they took anybody and everybody with him. Who was left? Nobody. The truth is, everybody needs somebody and nobody doesn't need anybody. And when it comes to participating in the church, in the body of Christ, God has given you a gift to use for the benefit of the body. Use it. So as an invitation, it's very simple. Maybe today you're here and you realize that you are not serving in the body anywhere. And maybe today your commitment needs to be, I am going to alter myself on the altar for God's service. And you're going to, maybe you need to say, I am going to give you all of me, whatever there is. Maybe that's how you need to respond today. Or maybe today you've, you've been coming a while and you say, hey, I really want to be a part of a church, really, that works together as a body. And maybe you need to come today and, and join First Baptist. Or maybe you've been sitting here and you, maybe you've been here this week or maybe Sunday after Sunday and you realize you don't even have a relationship with Christ. But you need one. My prayer for you is that today you would come. We, in fact, we've already prayed for you before this service started. That you would know Christ. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the power in it. Pray help us to be obedient to what you've called us to and to act quickly and, and to respond to what you're teaching us. Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you today, I just pray you give them the courage, the boldness to step out and say, I want to be saved. Well, don't let them leave and go home and forget the most important decision they'll ever make. So, Lord, I just pray you give them boldness and courage. Lord, I pray for others who have been sitting in this room and maybe realize, I'm really not doing what I need to be doing. I'm not using my gift. Give them boldness and courage to make a commitment. To make a commitment they won't forget about when they leave and they won't forget about when lunch is over. Lord, I pray you give them the boldness to act and then to stick to it. And so, Lord, we come to this invitation. We ask you to move us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? And if God's uh, giving you a challenge, would you?